This is Horsepower Happenings. Every once in a while, you get to the racetrack, and that pesky little bug crawls up and bites you, and you go, man, I ought to dust off my driver's seat. No, I'll I'll never go back. uh, I'll never go back to full-time racing. I'm too old. I mean, there's there's some guys older than me still doing it. God bless them. Distinguished news, industry insight, and exclusive interviews. We wrapped it up at the end of last year. I will tell you this. We are going to run. You're the first person that's actually been told this officially. With Zach Heiser. Here comes Jared Horstman to the inside. He's got Max Stambaugh picked off. He's around Chase Ryan now. Jared Horstman up to third down the back straightaway. And Rich France. The number 11 Hilliker machine does have a flat right front tire, uh, some body damage. He may be able to come down into the hot pit and uh, replace his tire and get back out. Michigan Short Track Racing Authority. This is Travis Stemler. Joe Westbrook, driver of the Hills Racing 47 This is Barry Marlowe. This is 14-time ARCA champion Ron Allen. This is three-time dirt car UMP national champion Rusty Schlink. And this is Horsepower Happenings. Good evening, race fans. Welcome in to Horsepower Happenings on a warm Monday evening. Looking forward to a beautiful weekend, another beautiful weekend of racing here in Michigan. But before we get into that, we got a great show lined up. Big money weekend is what we're talking about tonight. But first, let's take a look at what's happening in a Motor City Minute. Kyle Larson is a winner again in the NASCAR Cup Series. The number five now has number five with the Cup Series. He picks up the dub at Watkins Glen during the gold bowling at the Glen. Uh, by the way, he held off his teammate Chase Elliott for the win. So how about Hendrick Motorsports? If you're not betting on them, you're not watching NASCAR Cup Series action. Um, and this also comes after he just won the Prairie Dirt Classic. And can we just give Kyle Larson the GOAT nomination? Anyhow, Bobby Santos III won the mini tour with the King of the Wings sprint cars over the weekend. He won the grand finale at Nashville Fairground Speedway uh, over Michigan Motorsports Hall of Famer Jason Blonde, who made his first start at Nashville. Jonathan Davenport cashed in in Wisconsin over the weekend, collecting 50K, 50 large during the 34th annual USA Nationals at Cedar Lake. And then Derek Griffith collected a nice payday during the Motor Mountain Masters at Jennerstown Speedway. He held off Eddie McDonald for that victory in late model action. And that's what's happening tonight on Horsepower Happenings. Two great interviews lined up and a lot of local racing to talk about as well. So let's welcome in my partner, Rich France. How's it going, sir? Zach, I have to tell you, I have never been so happy that you went to Nashville (laughs) because (laughs) uh, I had an absolute blast uh, up at Merritt Speedway this weekend. I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to tease it too much, but we'll get into it. But um, a lot of unexpected. I'll just say that. A lot of unexpected. A lot of unexpected and, and really some uh, some great racing was had up there. And, and uh, if you haven't seen the video yet, go find it. We're going to tell you all about it. And we're going to talk all about it tonight with uh, Rusty Schlenk, who will join us a little bit later on. But, Rich, we start tonight's program with some breaking news today and some sad news. Veteran radio and television broadcaster Bob Jenkins former voice of the 500, inducted into the Indianapolis Motorsports Hall of Fame in 2019, died today at the age of 73. He had been fighting a valiant fight against cancer. Um, For Jenkins, uh, he was, man, what an iconic voice. What an iconic voice. He was respected. He anchored the NTT IndyCar Series races on television and was a frequent contributor to the public address system at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He was also a frequent master of ceremonies at 500-related functions, including the Indianapolis 500 Victory Celebration 
in uh, one form or another. Check this out. He was connected with Indianapolis Motor Speedway for more than 40 years, and his most familiar call was the thrilling finish of the 1992 race between Al Unser and Scott Goodyear. Um, that was the closest <laughs> uh, finish in the race's 105-year history at .043 seconds. And uh, Jenkins, he... Uh, he was a big deal. He was uh, working in NASCAR, IMS. He also anchored the uh, ESPN's popular Thunder Series broadcasts of USAC sprint cars and midget series races. And he also was the host of Speed Week on ESPN. Uh, Jenkins revealed he'd been diagnosed with malignant tumors behind his right temple following a severe headache on Christmas night in February of 2021 is when he revealed that. So sad to report that he passed away, but what an icon for the sport and what a legacy he's left behind. You know, Zach, he was up here, I think, uh, a few years ago and accepted award with Michigan Auto Racing Fan Club, um, whether it was the President's Award or Lifetime Achievement Award. So that was very cool that he made his way up here uh, to accept that award. And, and a lot of people are going to miss Bob Jenkins. Uh, you just don't. That's one voice that all you do is you know what it is when you hear it. If you, know? if you never heard him call a race, go and look some stuff up. because, uh, And you probably have heard him call a race and you just didn't know it. Um, because he is uh, he's probably, uh, if you look in the, the dictionary on what it is to call auto racing, Bob Jenkins is right there at the top. Absolutely. And, and you know, he's, you know, he's going to be sorely missed. Um, obviously, prayers from Horsepower Happenings go out to his family. All right, Rich, let's get into the news of, of the night. And, and really... What a week. we got to go all the way back to Thursday to start talking about racing in this region. Well, that's because we didn't get a chance to talk about this. One of the one of the crown jewels, but, uh, you know, Zach, recently Tyler Roerg's wins in the Outlaw Super Late Model uh, have come in exciting fashion following late race battles. Well, Thursday night Summer Sizzler was not one of those races for sure. Uh, the reigning Little 500 champion on the sprint car side took the lead just after the halfway point. Uh in the 100 lap main event and cruised to his record extending sixth win uh, in the outlaw super late model crown jewel Rorg's dominance in the event is nearly unmatched in nearly all of short track racing at this point in time, Zach. Um, he has now won that race six times in 13 starts with all of those wins coming in the last 10 years. And that even accounts for when he missed the 2014 season uh, due to injury. Meanwhile, only two other drivers have won the race more than once in its 20-year existence, with both Father J.R. Roerig and Jeff Gannis having two wins apiece. And with the win and the big $20,000 payday in hand, his attention has already turned to the Kalamazoo Clash on August 18th. Since 2012, Zach, he has either won the Sizzler or the Clash every year, except for the one season where he was injured. But Zach, however... Is this bad or good? He's never won both events in the same season. Man, I think he's going to be hard to beat this year. It may be the year that it finally happens. We'll keep a very close eye on that as the clash comes up very soon. Let's talk dirt track racing. Very good competition Friday night at Tri-City Motor Speedway. The Great Lakes Super Sprints presented by Engine Pro and ARP and the Great Lakes Traditional Sprints both in action. Let's start with Super Sprints. Ryan Rule, Dustin Daggett led the field to the green flag. Daggett jumped out to the early lead. However... He only led the first five rotations before Rule got the positioning needed to go to the front. 
It looked as though Ryan was going to run away with the race without incident until something changed on the Smith Motorsports 71H during the green flag run. Rule suddenly began to struggle getting through the center of the corners, which was allowing Max Stambaugh, who started sixth, to reel in Rule at an incredible pace. Stambaugh had erased an almost three-second advantage under green, but everything changed when a caution flag waved as Rule was coming out of turn four to take the white flag. The caution was displayed for R.J. Payne and Dan McCarron, who tangled going into turn one. While under the caution, the problem with Rule's car became very obvious. The left front tire was going flat, and as cleanup efforts took place, the situation became worse for Rule as the tire eventually became partially off of the rim. Rule made the decision to stay on the racetrack and attempt to hold on for the green-white checker finish. On the restart, Rule had no issues getting away from Stambaugh with clean air to his advantage, surviving the final two laps. Rule grabbed the fourth win of the season ahead of Stambaugh, Daggett, Dahlman, that'd be Greg Dahlman, and Keith Shefford Jr. Now on the non-wing side, Sheffer and Mike Ostrowskis led the field to the green for their 20-lap feature event. Sheffer grabbed the early lead, but it wasn't long before Jay Steinebach got to the front of the field. Sheffer was struggling to hold his number 86 to the preferred bottom line while Steinebach was glued to the tractor tires. Sheffer made an adjustment in the car that seemed to help his handling as he reeled Steinebach back in shortly after the pass. Then, with 11 laps to go, drama on the front straightaway. Sheffer pushes the issue, exiting turn four, and got a huge run on Steinebach in lap traffic. Steinebach checked up early going into one, and Sheffer slid into the back of the 10S with the right rear first of his number 86. Sheffer climbed over top of Steinebach's car and subsequently flipped into turn one. Steinebach was able to continue right away with mostly cosmetic damage. However, the caution was extended for several laps due to on-track conflicts with running position, and the delay was long enough for Sheffer to go pit side, examine the race car and the damage before returning to the racetrack, yes, after flipping, before the green. He was able to continue for the rest of the race. On the restart, Joey Irwin had inherited the lead after the crash that sent both Sheffer and Steinebach to the tail. Irwin did just as Steinebach had been doing, methodically working the inside of the racetrack, getting through lap traffic while holding off Brian Ruhlman. That all changed coming to the white flag. On the last lap, Irwin had caught a cluster of back markers racing for position. While Irwin stayed committed to the bottom, Ruhlman made the decision in turn three to go to the top shelf. Both Ruhlman and Irwin were stuck behind back markers going into turn one. Somehow they cleared traffic, drag race down the backstretch, and the drivers exited the fourth turn side by side, but it was Ruhlman at the line who edged out Irwin for the win. What a race that was. And I had a chance to talk with Brian and Victory Lane, and I said, did you, did you know that was going to work? And uh, he said, I knew that I wanted to be in second spot at the white flag because the leader was not coming off the bottom. It was almost like... It was almost like uh, Daytona and Talladega racing. I don't want to lead the last lap. <laughs> but uh, Roman gets the win. Nice job by him. And uh, nice job by Ryan Rule to hang on with that flat left front tire. Um, that was crazy. That was really wild. And the, the tire literally was just flapping in the wind when he pulled into victory lane. What a night. What a race. Good job to everybody who picked up the win. I've seen that a few times, Zach. And, and really that left front, you know, I don't think you need it on there, do you? Because it's, I don't think it's ever touched, hardly ever touching the 
touching the dirt, right? We know with the fender cars, uh, late models, modifieds, street stocks even, that you can get away with that. But Ryan made an interesting point in his Victory Lane interview. I wish we had a copy of it. He said uh, the track was had enough grip in it tonight that he was able to keep the car kind of wedged up. So it sounds like, Rich, that if, if it would have been a really dry, slick track, by the way, nice job to the Tri-City track crew, uh, very racy racetrack on Friday night. Um, if it had been the normal black from top to bottom and, and not a lot of grip, I wonder if he'd have been able to do that because he made it sound like he might not have been able to. Well, that's a pretty cool thing. But, uh, you know, Zach, um, how about a story about the other race that both of us wanted to be at? Yeah, no uh, kidding. Neither one of us wanted to miss this one. After a year hiatus due to COVID, the Hot Shoe 100 returned at a new racetrack in 2021. Uh, after the 2019 edition was held in the Upper Peninsula at Kinross Speed Park, 56 Modifieds made the trip to Springport Bend, Michigan Speedway for one of the premier modified races in the country this weekend. While something changed, some things changed uh, for the seventh running of the event, at least one thing stayed the same for this year's version. Blake Rowe uh, took the lead from David McManus in lap traffic on lap 63 and led the rest of the way to go back to back in the event and pocket $10,031. Zach, I said $10,031. After setting fast time and qualifying early in the afternoon, Rowe drew a six for his starting spot. McManus started on the outside of the front row uh, after qualifying second and led from the onset. Uh, it would be a, it would be a two lapped car uh, battling for position in front of him that would uh, ultimately see him lose the lead near the two-thirds mark of the race. The Auto City and Birch Run points leader would never be able to uh, to run down row once again after losing the lead, settling for second in his second Hot Shoe 100 start. Trevor Berry made a late charge to take the final podium spot, Curtis Spencer, and defending Springport Outlaw Super Late Model Track champion Jeff Gannis would round out the top five in Zach. Uh, three features for 56 cars. The B feature winner uh, was Al Berry, and bringing home the C feature win, that went to Tim Ryan. I'm telling you, I don't know what I got to do to make it to this event next year, but I'm going to take some vacation time. We understand it's probably going to go back up north next year, and uh, I'm going to bring a tent. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll bring a uh, camper, and I'm going to this race because what an event that was. I'm a little jealous of Chris Phoebe that he got to take that one in in person. Okay, Rich, now it's time to move into the guy that did get it done at Springport. Uh, our first guest on the Big Money Show tonight, no whammies, all big money. Rich, let us know who we're talking to. Well, Zach, this gentleman just flat out had a huge weekend, picking up his second consecutive Hot Shoe 100. I didn't stutter with a nice uh, 10,000-plus payday. Uh, and, Zach, at two different racetracks. We'll talk to him about that. That's got to be pretty tough. Uh, makes his home in Ortonville, Michigan. Blake Rowe, welcome to Horsepower Happenings. Hey, thank you guys very much. Glad to be here. Man, Blake, first, congratulations. Um, as big as the Hot Shoe 100 is, uh, one would be nice, but two in a row, I can only imagine you're, how you're feeling on this Monday. Yeah, it's uh, it's really cool, man. I mean, uh, like you said, one's, one's fantastic. I mean, it's a huge payday, and it's the, the biggest modified race we get to run all summer. Um, and so, two, I mean, two is really sweet, especially get to do it back-to-back, -back, two different racetracks. I mean, feel like it kind of just uh you know is a real confirmation for for myself honestly that you know we're capable of doing this uh, type of thing at, at a bigger level um and you know we're kind of chasing a guy that uh, i really idolize i mean brian nestor i think has won 
four or five of these things. Um, so, you know, I'm kind of hoping to chase his record down here over the next few years. That'd be really cool. But, um, either way, I mean, Brian and I are good friends, so I get to, uh, enjoy chatting with him and kind of, uh, you know, we kind of make jokes over it here uh, now and again. So let's, let's, uh, let's go backwards before we continue to go forwards. I want to get back and get into the meat and potatoes of, of the race over the weekend. But first I want you to kind of introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners Blake Rowe a name that is maybe household for modifieds um, in our area but what does your background look like give me a brief overview of your racing career up to this point yeah so my parents got my younger brother and I into quarter midget racing uh, when we were five and six years old Um, so I quarter midget raced for about eight years um, all over the midwest Um, we're really fortunate to uh, you know had success at that level. Um, we, we met a lot of really good friends, guys that I'm still, uh, you know, talk with every day. We still race with a whole lot of them. Um, so we did a whole lot of quarter midget racing there for a long while. Um, and then I got into a sportsman car at Owasso when I was 13. Um, and I drove that for three seasons, um, and wound up, we were, we were really points racing, wanting to chase a championship there. And we were uh, fortunate enough to, uh, win a championship, uh, our third year in it. Um, and that fall we bought our first modified, um, and we raced that three times at Owasso that year and, um, picked up our first one in that the, the second time out, which was really, really cool. I got to, uh, race with Travis Eddie for that one. And, um, Travis is another guy that, uh, I've always kind of idolized as a driver. I mean, him and his, his family are, are a huge name in the, you know, short track racing industry. So that was a really big one, even still today for me, just, uh, anytime I get to race with guys like him, I, I really enjoy it. So. Um, and we've been modified racing ever since. So, um, I want to say this is our fifth or sixth year full-time modified racing. Um, and we've kind of raced all over, uh, the Midwest with it. We, we never have really intentionally points raced. Um, but we did wind up winning the Whittemore, uh, Speedway track championship in 2018. Um, we were racing up there every week in preparation for the hot shoe. Um, that was before we had, uh, won one of them. So we were up there every week trying to get as, uh, as good as we could and, uh, we were just really consistent. We never won one of them up there, but we did uh, wind up pointing our way into a championship. So that was really cool. Um, and then I feel like 2019 was the year that, you know, in modified race, we, we really got, um, you know, comfortable and, and uh, dug in with it. And that was the year we won our first uh, hot shoe at Ken Ross. And we had a couple really good runs at Bear Field for their big money shows. We finished uh, second, fifth down there that weekend. Um, and then we went to Sandusky that fall and, we're fortunate enough to win their cavalcade as well, which was really cool. So, um, and then last year, obviously COVID kind of yeah. you know, swept all the big races out from under us, but that's, that's all right. And, um, this year, not only have we been doing a lot of modified racing, but I've been fortunate enough to, uh, drive a super late model for a really good family friend of ours, uh, Mark Joslin. He's, he's, you know, kind of put the trust in me to, uh, build and, um, drive a car for him. So that's really cool. We're, we're super racing almost every week over Berlin now and modified racing all the big shows we can find. Yeah, and so that that is a, a great segue for me because the last kind of generic question I was going to ask is: seems like out of sportsmen, the natural progression would be to go uh, template racing, continue template racing, either in a pro or or a supercar. What was the draw for you to to modifieds? Well, ultimately, I think the big draw for us with the modifieds was at the time, and even even still today, you can race them almost everywhere in the Midwest under a pretty common rule book. Um, and we just really wanted the opportunity to go race a lot of different racetracks. And, uh, I think 
you know, honestly, for me, it's, it's done me a lot of good um, as the driver uh, to be able to adapt. Um, and also, I mean, we're just, you know, really big fans of open wheel racing, um, you know, kind of the quarter midget was that way. Um, and so I always was kind of googly eyed every time we watched the modifieds at Owasso. So that was really what I wanted to do, even though, you know, kind of my dad and, and Mark, um, they wanted to go late model racing. Um, but, you know, so we went modified racing kind of it. Um, at my whim, if you will. And, uh, you know, I, have been around, uh, template, you know, pros and supers for a long time now. I'm, I'm really good friends with Kyle Crump. Um, so I, I do anything I can to help them guys on my off weekends. Uh, so I do a lot of traveling with Kyle and, uh, you know, their Van Dorn crew when, when I get the opportunity to, um, so now, you know, we've got the opportunity to kind of, you know, get our feet wet with it ourselves. And I, I'm really enjoying it, man. I mean, it's kind of hard. I, you know, I've been asked more than once, you know, which one do I prefer more? And I, you know, the, the late model is really cool right now because it's, it's new and it's, you know, really exciting. I'm, I'm learning a lot with it. So it's, it's challenging, but, um, it's been really rewarding. Um, so that's kind of fun in that aspect. But, um, you know, when you get like 55 modified and the top 24 within like two and a half tenths to even make a show like this, that, that to me is just, you know, super cool. So. And Blake, you led me right into it. I was going to say 56 modifieds this weekend at Springport Mid Michigan Speedway, um, and I was looking at the results, and there are drivers that I would expect to be up front contending that were running in the B and C features. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that's kind of the you know the the story. I think every year when we leave there, it's like holy smokes, you know, so and so, you know, didn't even make the A. Uh, you know, and some of them this weekend you saw didn't even make the B. Uh, which is kind of crazy. And, um, you know, this car that uh, I'm driving now, the modified that I'm driving now, uh, we built that car new in 2017. Um, our other car got wrecked really bad at Anderson that spring. So we built this one new uh, during the summer of 2017 and went to the hot shoe with it um, that summer. It was like our second or third race out. And um, we didn't make the race that year either. We were one position out. Um, we missed it by like, Thirty thousands or something like that. I mean, it's something you know, just a tiny margin that we were out. And I mean, that that's all it takes, man. I mean, and I think you know, the next few years after that, we we had a third and you know, two wins now. So, kind of shows that you know, it uh, it'll make the best or the worst of you in a weekend. Heading into a hundred laps, tell me the kind of confidence you have um, when right out of the gate, you know, you got something. Bef- you know, after qualifying, you say you know that you got a car that can win the race. Yeah, man. I mean, we. We've had a really good race car this, you know, this summer with our modified stuff. We, we've run really well at a couple of big shows, but you know, honestly, my biggest worry all weekend was making all hundred laps. I, I've made my fair share of mistakes in the modified the last two or three weekends out with it. Um, and kind of took ourselves out of contention. Um, and then, you know, at Kalamazoo this spring, we were running second to Jeff Gannis. Um, I don't think we had the car to beat him there straight up, but you know, we were running second. I, I was really happy with that. And we had a flat right, right front tire with like 10 or 15 laps to go. So, I mean, that's kind of been the story of our modified racing this year. So although I was confident in the race car we had, it had a really good speed and um, it had good long run speed as well. That's pretty much all we worked on through practice. Um, you know, I, I was just kind of nervous that, you know, I would either make a mistake or, you know, we'd get bounced off of, or, or just, you know, a freak incident would happen, you know, tire go flat or part break or something like that. So, um, you know, speed wise, I, I, I was comfortable with the car we had, um, but, you know, just the, the luck we've had recently, it seems like uh, I needed, you know, needed a little bit of good luck on my side. 
and I guess we were ca- just kind of in that, to get it. kind of in that same breath, Blake. How much was a how much of that was a relief for you to go out there and do that early in the weekend, so that you did know that hey, things are kind of firing on all cylinders here. Now we just got to get through the hard part and the race. We know we have the speed. Yeah, exactly, man. And it, it, that's a huge relief. We uh, showed up there Friday afternoon, and we were kind of late to get on the track Friday afternoon because we were uh, fussing with tires in the tire barn trying to make sure we had a really good set of tires to practice on and a good set of tires to race on. So I took my time over there. I, I felt like I was being diligent with our tires, um, you know, making sure they sized up right. And that, that all went well, but it cost us probably two hours of practice at the start of the day. Um, and then the storm kind of looked like it was rolling really quick, so we made – uh, two sessions and the first session we went out on, we were on really old tires and the car went like mid eighties, which was really fast at the time. It was, you know, like a 10th place car. Um, and I, I threw a pretty big series of adjustments at it and we put tires on and that's when we put up like a 35 at the end of the day, um, which put us, you know, uh, right up on top of the board, which was a good feeling, you know, kind of when you get to go back to the, you know, we, we camped over there. So when we went back to campsite and just, it gave, you know, you didn't have that pressure on you. Like, man, I got to find a couple tents tomorrow or, um, it just gave me the opportunity to sit back and think about what I'm going to have to do in the race and, you know, maybe a little adjustment here or there to make the car drive better um, for 100 laps. When you don't go back to the campsite and sit down and stare at your race car and start talking to it, asking it why, uh, that's a good thing. Now, let's go through this this race. Uh, it took you a little while to uh, to get up to that lead point where you don't look back and you go the rest of the way. Walk me through your event a little bit here. Uh, you know, McManus, Barry, Spencer, Gannis, uh, of course, Obrinsky, who picked up a big win there earlier, Nestor, all those guys that you're racing against up there. Take me through your event. What did you have to do? And and then those final through final couple of laps, what you did do to take the lead was, was picture perfect and uh, really a classic instance of the pick maneuver from what we understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as fast as the car wasn't qualifying, honestly, from the drop of the green, I, I didn't ultimately feel like we just had a car that was going to be fantastic. It, it was kind of on top of the racetrack and I, it had me a little bit concerned there for the first 10 or 15 laps. You know, I, I've been fortunate enough with the late model stuff we've been doing this summer that, you know, I've run a lot of longer races and, and Berlin will really teach you, um, a, a new level of patience as far as like saving tires and, um, you know, waiting for the right opportunity to make passes rather than forcing them to happen or anything like that. So I think that went a long ways for me. But, you know, like I said, I, I didn't feel like we had just a, this, you know, rocket ship of a race car that was going to drive through this field. And, um, although we were fortunate in the fact that while our car was a tick on the free side, um, it really seemed like a lot of guys battled with a, a rather tight race car. Um, so, you know, when I was able to pull up behind them and they would, you know, kind of shove the nose on corner entry to, you know, before they were able to make it all the way to the apron, I was able to cut right up underneath them and, you know, drive, drive around them, which, you know, I don't know that, uh, it was the perfect, like I said, I don't know that it was the perfect race car, but it was one that was just drivable enough to get around people. Um, and you know, like you said, I mean, when I got to David, uh, he was definitely the class of the field, um, that we had to race with. And, when I got to him, I, I spent five or 10 laps kind of studying, you know, what, what he was doing that was different than me and where he was better. And quite honestly, it, it was starting to look like, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do to get around him. He wasn't making a whole lot of mistakes. His car was really, you know, uh, underneath him well. And we ha- I knew we had a fuel stop coming at lap 70. So I just, you know, kind of sat back and, you know, figured that I should save my stuff for the last 30 and maybe I'd have a good opportunity to race him hard at the restart. But as we call it lap traffic, you know, I've, I've lost that race 
uh, due to incidents like that, you know, you get behind lap cars and they're racing hard. So, you know, I've kind of, uh, learned that, you know, in those opportunities when, you know, when I'm the, the car running somebody else down, uh, that I need to take, you know, any opportunity I can. And, um, a couple of lap cars are racing for position ahead of us. And, um, David chose to try to follow the car on the bottom, uh, entry of three. So I just closed the hole up up top. Um, and I was fortunate enough that uh, I was actually Brock Gannis. I was following, um, Brock was able to, to make the pass on the car beneath him. Um, and when he did it, you know, it obviously opened the door for me to drive around, um, David and, and kind of pinch him underneath the car or yeah, behind the car that he was uh, following. So, you know, I, I do honestly feel bad for David. No, you know, because I've been in that same position, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I, it's an opportunity to obviously I couldn't pass up and I, I don't feel bad for taking the opportunity to feel bad that lap cars, you know, probably left him feeling pretty sour over it. Did you feel bad enough to maybe send him two or 3% of your winnings? No, no, not quite that bad. He, he's got a good race car. He, uh, he left with a, a good check and, uh, I'm sure the, I'm sure the roles will be reversed at some point. He'll, he'll, uh, make good of a situation like that. So he's a, nope. he's a, he's a fast driver. He'll figure it out. <laughs> now, Blake, we've asked, we've asked guys before you get late in a race and, um, you realize you start telling yourself the only way we're going to lose this is if we screw it up. Um, are you listening to everything in that race car then is that the time when they're saying 20 to go 15 to go 10 to go and you hear everything that you haven't heard before in that race car yeah i mean you know i i've made a lot of laps in that car so i i'm comfortable with it i you know my dad and i are the ones who put it together so i'm comfortable that it's mechanically sound but like like you said i mean it you know anything can happen and it's um yeah it gets nervous man but I'm really, I was really fortunate this weekend to, uh, to have a really good friend of mine on the spotter stand. Um, Brian Blackmore does a, an absolutely fantastic job. And um, although I'm rather quick sometimes to get wound up, um, he's a really calm, level-headed guy on the spotter stand. Um, so, you know, he did a good job of just feeding me the information I needed uh, to keep my head on straight um, and just, you know, plug away at it. It was probably one of the more comfortable you know, situations that I've been in, you know, kind of leading a big race like that with 15 or 20 to go. You know, we had a similar run to the finish at the race in 2019 at Ken Ross. Uh, we had a, you know, caution come out like 20, 20 or so to go. And um, Derek Griffith, or Griffin, I'm sorry, uh, was uh, running second to us. And he was really good that weekend, just like David was um, this weekend. And, you know, I remember making a lot of mistakes at uh, Ken Ross, you know, kind of running over the curb and just getting nervous, right? You know, not hitting my marks that I needed to. And um, I think one of the big differences here this weekend was, you know, I, I've, I've kind of been there, done that, right? So some of the nerves may have been out of it just for that, you know, reason. But the other would definitely be, you know, Brian just, you know, kind of keeping me in the game and, uh, you know, making making easy work out of it, you know. Yeah, so let's just say you kind of got this modified thing figured out. Talk to me about this super late model. Is that the next direction you want to go in? Yeah, yeah, man. I, I would love to super late model race more often. Um, right now I am extremely, uh, thankful and happy, uh, for where we're at, you know, we're, we're learning fast. Um, but I, I would definitely enjoy, uh, to get to do more of it. Um, we're going to try to travel around this fall and maybe some this winter. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, maybe over the next few years, we'll probably end up doing a little bit more modified or a little bit more super late model racing than we are modified racing. Um, and you know, maybe even build a pro car. I, I don't know. Um, it's just, you know. Not that, not that we're bored of the modified stuff, but, um, like I said, the late model is new and exciting right now. And, uh, it's, 
you know, kind of just this fun new toy. So, um, you know, I, I don't see us ever getting out of modified racing. Uh, we really enjoy the folks that we race with. Um, and you know, they're, they're doing a really good job of drawing big crowds for events like this. So, you know, maybe in the future we'll be doing, you know, three, four, maybe five modified races a year and then filling the rest of our schedule up with, uh, template body stuff. I have one more question for you about the hot shoe. Uh, again, as we mentioned, uh, we're talking with Blake Rowe, the, the hot shoe moved to Springport this year, still due to some COVID issues with border crossings. Um, do you have a preference, uh, where you would like to see this race? I mean, it's had a couple of different homes now. Uh, I know, mm-hmm. I, I think the plan was to move it back up North. What would you like to see if you had your way, given that you won on both tracks? You know, I don't know that I mind either way. Um, I, I've enjoyed everywhere that we've raced it. Um, you know, honestly, I, I still kind of think that would, you know, I know Whittemore had its issues with, you know, they were just running out of room in the pits and things like that. But as far as the racing went, you know, Whittemore is kind of the, a nice middle ground. It's small enough that, um, you know, guys don't feel like they got to have this monster motor or anything like that to come. So I think that helps draw cars and, um, it's still kind of wide enough and it's got some progressive banking and things like that to help the racing. Uh, which is fun. Um, Ken Ross kind of struggled a little bit with, uh, it was kind of one grooved. So I know they talked about doing something like a traction compound in the top, which I think would be really interesting. Um, and then Springport this weekend, you know, put on a really good race in itself. So honestly, man, wherever it goes, we're, we're following it. I don't know that I got a preference. I actually was talking to Bud about it at the end of the weekend. And I had made the comment to him that I've, you know, ultimately the last two years have moved. Um, although that wasn't really the intention. Um, I, I did say to him that I kind of like how it's a moving target every year, but, um, I, I do know that makes it difficult for those guys to prep and, you know, know the, the folks they're going to be working with at the tracks and things like that. So that's a cool like idea. Said, maybe we could, uh, maybe we could make it like the Super Bowl and the Olympics where tracks bid on it and it, and it kind of just goes wherever that would be. That's an interesting concept. You might be onto something there. Make it a moving yeah. target. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like, I like the big places. Sometimes it's, you know, it makes for a little bit of a struggle because it's a, it's a big place to spread out. But um, Springport certainly didn't do that this weekend. It seemed like it was racy enough. Um, you know, I had to pass four or five cars to get where I was. Uh, Trevor Berry came from like 12th or something to finish third. Like there was no lack of passing. So um, I don't know. That, Like I said, that's what we like about modified racing. There's like a million options on what you want to do almost every weekend. So um, it's uh, where they go, we'll go. So. Well, Blake, man, uh, congratulations on the win. Nice job. Uh, really, Rich and I said it earlier, we were bummed that neither one of us could make it to the race and see it in person. Um, but I want to give you this opportunity in front of our platform and in front of our listeners. Let us know who it is that makes it possible for you to do what you do. Yeah, first and foremost is my parents, man. I mean, I, I don't own this stuff. I'm 22, so this, this all is uh, on them, the racetrack and things like that. Um, so, you know, my mom and dad, they're, they're just absolutely, uh, you know, really giving me a fantastic opportunity here. Um, Mark Goslin again is another one. He, he does all of our, he owns all of our super stuff and, um, he set us up with a really great race car to take to the track every week. Um, all, all of our sponsors, Rush RV, Barnett Financial and Tax, uh, Grace Towing Services, uh, M2 Auto Parts, um, and then kind of, you know, some of the folks that, uh, keep me, you know, sane and help me, you know, work on setups and things like that. Dick Myers is, uh, the guy that does all of our shock work. And, um, I think he's really taught me a lot about that. Not, I think, I know he has taught me a lot about setting a race car up and, um, you know, how to think about it at the racetrack and tune on it. Um, how racing enterprises build us a, a really good piece, uh, you know, 
to work off of. And uh, Wagner Automotive is uh, who built the, the engine for us, and they do a fantastic job as well. So um, there's a there's a list a mile long, but those guys are uh, all a huge uh, part of our modified program, and I don't think we'd be where we are without any of them. Blake Rowe gets it done over the weekend, the Hot Shoe 100, back-to-back winner. He'll look for three in a row. Wherever it goes next year, Blake, uh, always a pleasure to uh, – actually, not always. Glad to finally have the pleasure to bring you on the yeah. show, and, and we'll look forward to talking to you again very soon. Well, thank you guys very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, our thanks to Blake. Uh, what, what an interview. Glad to have him on the show. Uh, I know a lot of folks have been following that young man's career, so uh, really cool to get a chance to talk with him. Let's talk about some other things going on around the region this weekend. A stellar field of Outlaw Super Late Models lined up at Berlin Raceway for the Reveal the Hammer Sweet 100. 100 laps featuring or I should say a 100-lap feature honoring the life of race car driver and motorsports businessman Randy Sweet, saw Steve Needles become a two-time winner during the inaugural Reveal the Hammer season. Starting grid saw race officials invert the top eight qualifiers, putting Needles and Rorig in row four. On the start, pole sitter Sean Amore led the first 23 laps when Adam Terry grabbed the top spot. Then by lap 38, Terry had mechanical issues, and that ended his night. Needles takes the lead. Rorig right on his spoiler in second spot. A battle shapes up between the two outlaw stars. And when steering issues stop the number 24 on lap 51, Needles held the lead the rest of the way, including holding off a late charge by Brian Bergacre until a broken spindle sidelined the round three winner. Needles took his second tour win. Early race leader Sean Moore recovered nicely to finish second, with Brian Maxim taking the final spot on the podium. The win by Needles ensures his spot at the top of the list in the Reveal the Hammer Outlaw Super Late Model Tour Championship standings. By the way, the next Reveal race coming up Saturday, August 28th at Auto City. Well, Zach, this was my weekend, sir. Um, <laughs> I... Uh, I went up to God Country and uh, up to Merritt Speedway and took in the 33rd annual Ed Van Dyne and Wittick, uh, which also doubled as the fourth annual Dan Soleil Memorial um, up there. And what a weekend it was. We'll start with Friday. That's when all the all the racing happened uh, in preliminary action on Friday. Cody Bauer kicked things off the weekend in fine fashion uh, by capturing the overall fast qualifier award and collect – Zach? Fifteen hundred dollars for the fast qualifier. That's unreal. Award. That's unreal. Fifteen hundred. <laughs> Cody had fifteen hundred dollars, and he hasn't had ten laps on the car. Un- unbelievable. And so it was pretty cool. Uh, Bauer, uh, Eric Spangler, Rusty Schlank, and Logan Nickerson would collect the heat race wins, while Schlank and Spangler would capture the odd even qualifying races, uh, which put them on the front row for the feature event. Uh, and then it was Bauer again picking up the win in the dash for cash. So that's, that wrapped up Friday night. Uh, and then we moved on to Saturday and, uh, Zach, I have to tell you, this is one of the best features I have ever seen on dirt on pavement anywhere around. I did, you would have never guessed how this was going to end, but I can tell you how it started. Well, and, and, and I want to preface this. I'm glad you said that before you get into the details. I'm glad you said that folks, haters, haters of Barrett Speedway. Listen close to the next 35 40 minutes of the show because on paper rich if you just look at where people started and where they finished it doesn't tell the whole story not even close to the whole story because there were comers and goers all night long zach uh you know i I made a comment what is 
how how does Jeep Van Wormer use a provisional? Next thing I knew, halfway through the event, he's running sixth. Wow. Um, I mean, it was amazing. And and there were battles, side-by-side -side battles, all race long. I mean, all the way through the field. I I thought it was incredible. We're going we're gonna to go back up front before we get to everything else. Um, Schlenk and Spangler would lead the field to green after an almost two-hour delay uh, due to track conditions and continuing preparations. A little bit of extra water got put on, and they had to get that all ran in. Um, so it took a little while. But I am glad they did because there was moisture and grip in that racetrack. Uh, Schlenk would pick up the race lead at the drop of the green flag, but a quick yellow on lap two would slow the start. When Greg Goki would slide off the top of turn two, uh, Goki would head to the pits with nose damage, ending his night very early. Uh, on the restart, Spangler would keep the pressure on Schlenk, and on lap 11 would put his number 27 machine out front. The caution would fly again at lap 14 for an incident that claimed Curtis Roberts and Logan Nickerson, they would not return. And on the ensuing restart, third place running and overall fast qualifier Cody Bauer would blow the top Zach off turns one and two, losing 10 positions uh, before getting his 19X machine back on the racing surface. A flurry of action would then take place with Schlenk regaining the top spot on lap 17 with Spangler and Thurlby in tow. Spangler would once again uh, work around the 91 machine on lap 22. Then on lap 27, Thurlby would work his way around Schlenk. Do you see a pattern here, Zach? <laughs> yeah, man. This Again, I really wish I could have been there. It, it, it was quite amazing. Then, you know, so Schlenk drops to third. A long green flag run would then ensue uh, and really put some of the back markers a lap down. But Eric Spangler was the class of the field um, driving away. And really, at that time, you thought that was it. Uh, at the half pay, halfway point, it was Spangler in full control with uh, Thurlby, Schlenk, Chad Finley, and Rich Bell occupying the top five. Uh, Finley's solid run would come to an end when he bent the nose under his 42 machine and went pit side. Uh, a couple more cautions would fly, keeping the field tight together. Following a restart uh, on lap 27, Spangler would once again pull away, leaving Thurlby and Schlenk to battle for the runner-up spot with Rich Bell and Dono Marcoulier trying to settle things for fourth and fifth. The final caution of the 75-lap event would fly with nine laps to go when Mike Vandermark Jr. put his number 41 machine up on the bike, Zach. You saw the picture. Uh, I thought he was going over. Uh, I don't know how much more he could have gone up if he for and not go over. Yeah, Randy Allen did a great job. He sent me a gallery, and that car was on the Hoosier racing tire. And when I say that, I mean it was on the stamp on the sidewall that says Hoosier. That's what it was on. <laughs> yep. Well, uh, you know, he overshot turns one and two. On, the, on that restart, Spangler would once again stretch out a quick five-car length lead down the back straightaway while Schlenk worked around Thurlby. What came next, Zach, was a finish for the ages. As lap after lap, the three-time Dirt Car UMP national champion would cut into Spangler's lead. With Spangler committed to the bottom and Schlenk using the rest of the racetrack to find any speed, uh, with the white flag flying for the rest of the field, Schlenk sailed his machine into the top of turns three and four, while Spangler remained on the bottom. Coming off turn four to the checkers, Spangler couldn't find the grip on the bottom that he needed, and Schlenk found it all, narrowly beating Spangler to the line in front of a standing 
roaring crowd. Marcoulier would get uh, by Thoroughby for third with Bell completing the top five at the finish. Uh, Schlenk would collect the largest payday of his career, $33,000 plus lap money. Uh, and the event was also a points race, Zach, for the All-Star Performance Late Model Challenge Series, where Marcoulier currently leads the championship standings. And also, I have to tell you about these two races. Um, UMP Modifieds, same thing. Jeff Erickson Jr., I think everybody was watching the end of that race and said, Jacob Poole's got this thing. Caution comes out late. Uh, Jeff Erickson Jr. gets by Jacob Poole on the last lap, takes the win. Nice. And then, uh, yeah, I couldn't believe just some great racing at Merritt. And then in the B mod feature, uh, boy, Colin Thurlby's got his B mod just flying <laughs> this year. Uh, kind of dominated that one. But good, uh, good stuff. Really, really, really a great race. Uh, really a great race and a great time at Merritt. Great racetrack. I, I, it was very, very fast. And I think that that's why all the cautions. Is the track the best it's been all season a- after what you saw? Absolutely. Hands down. I said that on Friday. After Friday's races, I said that's, that's what it was. Um, I, it, it had grip in it. It didn't look anything like. They put more banking back in it. And they were up there. And, Zach, there was a cushion. When yeah. I left the infield after the race, there was a eight-inch cushion up on the top wow. of turns one and two that they were all running up against. A cushion at Merritt. Well, the man that uh, got the fans on their feet. Oh, what a video of, of the people standing and cheering and fist bumping. And, man, that, that was probably the coolest thing that I've seen from this. Rich France, let us know who we're talking to. Well, Zach, first of all, I have to tell you, there, there's, there are times in your life as a race fan when you think you've about seen it all, right? And then comes that one day where ch- the change is that. And that day for me was Saturday at Merritt Speedway. This gentleman picked up the biggest win of his career on Saturday in the 33rd annual Ed Van Dyne and Wood Tick and the fourth annual Dan Saleh Memorial. But how he did it, like you said, was rather stunning, uh, not just for me, but for everyone else in attendance. We'll break it all, all down, have some fun. He's a three-time dirt car UMP national champion out of McClure, Ohio, Rusty Schlank. Welcome to Horsepower Happenings. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. My friend, we have talked quite a f- after quite a few of your wins over the past uh, few years. I don't recall ever seeing you so excited, thrilled, jacked. You picked the word about a win. Um, <laughs> it looked like you were maybe just a little bit shocked like everybody else was. Man, I'll tell you I was. I didn't uh, – I, I kind of wrote it off about, oh, man, probably halfway through that race. I was uh, – I, I usually don't have much quit in me, but uh, I, I just knew we, we missed a little bit on setup, and I just – I went the wrong way with the car, and I, I thought we were way too tight to be able to win it, and – I just, after, after the tires would get hot, I'd just get too tight and I was only good for a few laps at a time. And then I'd, I'd, I'd get back to the lead and then when the tires would get hot and they drive back around me. So I was just trying to settle in and, and try to pull off a top three. I, I knew I was, uh, I was pretty comparable to Thurlby. So I was trying to hold on to maybe second and race him for that second place spot. And man, it was, uh, it was definitely, it, it was definitely a surprise when I, I got back around Thurlby there with that, we had that late, that late restart and I let the tires cool down. I kind of got down in the mud in the infield and got them as cold as I could and tried to, tried to hold on for the last nine laps. But once I got around him, I kind of found a line that worked and man, I looked up at the board and I had, uh, if I, was, I think it was four laps left and I was kind of gaining on, or on Spangler a little bit. I'm like, man, I think I, I think I can make a run at this thing. If I can hit the cushion, right. The last, if, as long as I don't mess up the last few laps, I think I can at least be there at the end to try and make something happen. And it's, that's how it worked out. 
Now, before we get into the details, let's uh, let's back up so we can make Zach feel guilty about missing it. Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> uh, you had to be more than satisfied after Friday night. Fast qualifier in your group, heat race win, odd qualifying race win, and that doesn't include what Co- Cody was able to do in that brand new domination chassis. Yeah, it was awesome, man. Friday was huge. Um, I I was so excited going into Saturday because we were we were both so good. I mean, we had even Colin, and I mean that we had uh, we had quite a few cars there that were running good. So I I thought uh, thought we had a good shot at it. But yeah, Friday was awesome, man. We uh, I think I think the domination car swept everything they were in. Uh, Colin, I think Colin won best appearing car. He won the youngest driver uh, to make the feature. Um, Cody won the the qualifying award there for fast time. I, we were second. Uh, we won our heats. We won the. We ended up winning the dash. We won the feature. I mean, there was uh, dom- domination's pretty much clean house on Friday. So that was definitely exciting. Now you mentioned that you felt you missed the setup a little bit. There, there's so much to unpack for this race. 75 laps. We talked about it. Two hours worth of track prep before you guys hit the racetrack. I guess I want to ask you about the racetrack. The, the Merritt Speedway has been under fire this year for being one lane around the bottom and really struggling. To Mike's credit, he has reworked that track three or four times this season to try to fix the issue. And uh, I guess without going over what they did in those two hours that it took, was that necessary? And do you think that was the credit to that being uh, such a good race? Definitely. I mean, that's, that's what most racetracks do. What, what you seen, what you seen Friday, uh, or, or sorry, you know, Saturday is, is really what most racetracks is what they go through. They just start a little earlier. You know what I mean? I, it, and that really is what made the track so good. Uh, if you don't start with the track slimy and muddy, uh, and have a lot of water deep down inside of it, you're just, you're not going to have that good racing at the end of the night. It's going to, it's going to get, it's going to get dusty and slick and, crumbly and you're going to have to race around the bottom and uh you just can't run on it and i mean chad bauer and and uh whoever he had helping him they they really got they, they really did what they needed to do to make that track perfect for for the end of the night um they they just needed to start a little bit earlier <laughs> yeah for sure now 75 laps long time and I, I want to go back to what you said that you don't have a lot of quit in you but you wrote this thing off now you did a very uh bold confident thing coming to the checker <laughs> you stuck your hand out the window usually that's for the guy rusty that has maybe a car length two car lengths on second spot <laughs> pretty confident he's going to win at what point did you know that you were going to win that race because you were still probably what four or five car lengths off of eric down the back stretch when did you know that yep. you were going to win that race uh, honestly, I thought, um, I thought I messed up in one and two. Um, uh, and I did a little bit. I kind of missed the cushion. I didn't get into it quite as, quite as soon as I needed to. And I kind of, if you watch the video, you can see me slide a little bit through the middle and, and I didn't get on the cushion as early as I wanted. And Eric kind of put a car length on me down the back stretch. I'm like, shit, man, I think we lost this thing. I gave it all we had. Well, um, when he went into three, I watched him slide up a little bit. And as soon as I watched his car slide up, I just, I mean, we, I just committed at that point. And, um, I knew if I, if I hit the cushion, right, we would, I would at least be there. You know what I mean? I'd, I'd be close, but about halfway through three and four, um, I realized that I, I got into the cushion like I needed to. And I mean, I just, I, I had such a run coming off of four and I was watching him slide up. He, he, he must've, he must've missed his mark or something getting into three a little bit. And, he came off a of four a little bit slower than what he had been the last few laps. And 
as soon as I as soon as I was up in the cushion and, and the car was rotated and pointed down the front stretch, I knew we had it won because I had I just had such a head of steam that at that point it was even if we would have crashed, we would have won across the line at first because I was I was just so much faster at that point. But. Now, Rusty, it was hard for you to, let's say the last 25 laps, it, it was hard for you to just ride for a little bit, even when Eric had checked out uh, by quite quite a good margin. Um, you're, you find yourself in a battle lap after lap with Brandon Thurlby, and you can't just let him go because if, if you now you're going to fall into the clutches of Dona Marcullier and Rich Bell, who have their own battle going. How hard was that to, you still had to run your car as hard as you could because you you like you said to me on on saturday night we still had a chance at that ten thousand dollars <laughs> right right and that's and that's exactly what it was is eric was kind of driving away a little bit and even brandon at one point in that race um i was searching around so hard trying to find something to i hadn't quite given up at that point but because i because i was searching around so hard trying to find something i actually let brandon around me and he put shoot he put half a straight away on me too so I had, uh, I think at that point I'd got the right rear too hot and I just, I had lost the whole car at that point and, and I was just praying for a caution so I could kind of regroup and start over. But, um, it, it, it worked out the way it needed to for me to win that thing without a caution, I'd have ran third. So we, we, we get the caution you're looking for, uh, on lap night and I don't, you, you didn't see it, but Mike Vandermark put it up on the bike and almost went over one and two. Um, it, it was, it, you, you may have seen the photo. It's an amazing shot, but at which point I started looking up on that restart and I, I, I looked for the first couple laps and it says Eric kind of spread it back out. And I said, well, it looks like Rusty might be catching him. And then four, five to go, four to go, three to go. It became awfully evident. And that's when you had to realize it. Yep. Um, yeah, it, it was definitely, uh, it, it was definitely a surprise once I started reeling him back in there. Um, Oh, can you guys still hear me? Yeah, I got you, Rusty. Yep. Okay, sorry. Phone was beeping there. Um, yeah, it was definitely uh, it, it was definitely a surprise because uh, I thought I had used up everything. You know, I mean, I thought I thought that, uh, that I had tried every line possible, and I ended up finding something when I was racing with Brandon there for a second. And I I just happened to to find a line through the middle and and off the exit on the cushion that that I was I was like, holy crap, man! I think I'm gaining on Spangler. So I just kept running that line, and it was kind of treacherous because. If you got into that cushion wrong, it would just eat you up. Like you said, uh, Vandermark was up on two wheels, and I had had it happen to me a couple times in that race. So I knew if I hit it wrong, I was I was in trouble. But um, we put together four or five good laps there and, and made it happen. Now I was able, I, I talked to Eric af- after the race, and w- we didn't have the interview because when I handed him the mic the mi- microphone, I think he hit the button on accident. So all you heard was me talking. But he uh, told me he, he Eric told me he said you know it was. It was my fault. I, I shouldn't have stayed on the bottom. It was uh, slowing me down. It was kind of dusty from the guys that were going down through the dirt down there that were hitting the tires. And he said, you know, I should have got up off the bottom and searched and I didn't do that. So he said, that's on me. Is, is that kind of how you saw what he was doing? Well, and that's, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what happened. Um, I mean, that happened to me at Tri-City a couple weeks ago. Uh, same exact thing. Like when you're out front, you you get comfortable. I mean, you, you, he drove around me and, and drove around whoever else that he needed to, and just kind of drove off into the sunset. And at, that, at that point, you, you know that you've got a good race car and you just think if you keep hitting your marks that, you know what I mean? You, you've got it in the bag and that's exactly what happened to me. I just kind of got complacent and I just, uh, I rode around there at tri city and ended up getting beat down the last lap by Dona. So that's exactly what happened to him. And it's hard not to do that. You know what I mean? You ran the same line for the previous 60 laps. It's hard to 
it's hard to talk yourself to come off of that line. I mean, he did what he needed to do and probably the same thing I would have done if, if I would have led the whole race on the bottom, I probably would have stayed down there also. It's, uh, we weren't allowed to signal. We weren't allowed to have stick people this weekend. So we couldn't tell, uh, we couldn't have our crew guys on the back stretch telling us where to go. So that's, uh, he definitely didn't do anything wrong by any means. I mean, I think a lot of us drivers would have done the same thing. It was just, I was in the right place at the right time to, to take advantage of the circumstances. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Uh, the first one I'm going to ask you is, as fans of you, Rusty, know that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is kind of what I've observed, is if it's there, you like to bang that cushion, man. Uh, rip the lip, and uh, it works for you. If Eric would have made that decision, again, this is all you know, just speculation, if he would have made the decision to go up top, do you think you could have uh, made a move to get around him, or, or was the key to you winning that race him staying around the bottom? I mean, I, I, you just don't know. Um, I know that there were a lot of other people in that race that, it, that tried to run the cushion, especially after watching the video. And uh, there were some people that would go up there and go slower because you had to, the cushion was so tough. I mean, there was, it was, it was so choppy. There was different, it was hard in one spot and soft in another. And there was clumps of crap everywhere. And if you hit it wrong, I mean, the clumps would move around from lap to lap. So you'd think you had a good line. You come back around and somebody had hit it and moved the clump out of the way and it was in a different spot. So you just couldn't. It was different every time you came into the cushion. So, I mean, it was pretty treacherous. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, it could have happened a, a handful of different ways. If he would have went to the top and, and messed up, I'm shoot, I could have ended up with the, the lead three or four laps before that. But, For sure. And that's what's hard is when you when you run the whole race down on the bottom, uh, to make that move to the cushion, you don't know what to expect. You know what I mean? So, if he would have came up there, he would have – it would have took him three, four, five laps to probably figure the cushion out anyway because, mm -hmm. I mean, it shoot, it took me – it took me 65 to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and to that point, to your point about the cushion's inconsistency, I thought it was very strange the way that you were running the cushion from the video. It looked like that first third, maybe, maybe quarter of the corner, you were off of it, and then you would come up, slam it, and get a run down the straightaway. That's what it looked like you were doing uh, from what I was able to see, not just planning it out there like a rail car and running it that way. Right. And that, I mean, that's kind of what I had figured out when I was racing with Brandon there is I was just trying to figure out how to get through that thing as soft as possible because the entry, the entry in the center, if, if you messed up at all, I mean, it would just throw the car up on two wheels. It was just so inconsistent on entry into the center. So I figured out if I could just get, if I could just keep the car straight and get across that slick stuff through the center and uh, keep as much speed, center speed up as I could and just use the cushion for traction on exit. That's, that's really what won the race for me was just figuring out how to, how to stay off the cushion as long as possible and just use it to exit the corner. For sure. Now, I did not know, uh, I missed this memo about the stick figures, that uh, they were not allowed to be on the backstretch. How important has that role become for you, Rusty, as a driver? And how long did it take to adjust and, and get back to, I guess, running the old-fashioned way? Honestly, man, it's not that hard for me because <laughs> I'll be the first to tell you I, I forget to look at my stick guy or can't look at my stick guy <laughs> half the time. Um, uh, I've got my hands full. I don't know how people watch your stick guy every lap, but uh, my Dusty, Dusty's my stick man. He He's always yelling at me because I'm not looking at him. But So for me, it wasn't really – it's not really an adjustment. I only look at him under caution anyway. Um, it's a little different not being able to look over, over under caution and have him give me signals whether I'm – you know what I mean, top, bottom, middle. But sure. um, once we're out there racing, I don't uh, – I don't look at them anyway, so um, it, it wasn't too hard for me to adjust to. Now I have been I've been up in the tower there for most of the races you've ran at Merritt the last three or four years. Um, 
and I hear the comments that come out of the fans' mouths every single week when you show up. <laughs> um, that was a big change for you when you got out of that race car because I don't, I did not hear very many boos, Rusty. I thought it was unbelievable. Yeah, it was, uh, that was definitely the biggest, uh, the biggest thing for me was, uh, I didn't get to see when I went across the line. Everybody told me that the, the crowd erupted when we, when we took that win there across the line. And obviously I'm in the car and can't see that. But when I, when I got out in victory lane, I was, <laughs> I, I, I'm always expecting the booze and the, the, the cherry picker comments and the, Go back to Ohio, and <laughs> that's none of that. the stuff none I hear of, when I. None of know, that. But it it was a huge roar, man. It was uh, it definitely it still makes the hair stand up on my arms thinking about it. But yeah, that was awesome to get that kind of uh, get that kind of greetings from the fans up there because normally I don't get that, <laughs> especially from the guy that lives eleven miles away that you just beat. I mean, that's his <laughs> that's his backyard. That says something when you can, you know, they I think they they just appreciated good racing. Um and it was good, clean racing and it was a spectacular finish. Um and I think that what's that that's what they were cheering because normally you wouldn't expect them to cheer somebody who just beat their hero. <laughs> right, right. And and honestly I do I I think you're right. It's uh race fans are race fans. I mean, even, uh, even if they're, even if it's a guy that gets beat, they, they're excited about the finish because I mean, nobody wants to, nobody wants to see a car just drive off into the sunset and not, you know I mean? Not be contested the whole race. That makes for a, that makes for a boring 75 laps. So, um, everybody, uh, and, and honestly, I think a lot of it was probably shock also, cause I know I was pretty shocked that I pulled it off. So, uh, for the, everybody was probably, uh, getting ready to get up and, and go to their car and uh, once the checker came out and because they figured Spangler had it in the bag, but, um, I feel like that last, that last three or four laps was so excited. I don't care who you're ro- or exciting. I don't care who you're rooting for. I mean, it was, uh, it, that was going to get you up on your feet for sure. We've talked about this in the past, but I don't want to glaze over it again this year. Uh, the Dan Soleil Memorial portion of that is very important to a lot of people in the pits, and uh, I know it's important to you as well. Uh, we just uh, we just saw how much money was raised. It's some somewhere in the neighborhood of over fourteen thousand dollars raised for the uh, cancer association, and, and Rusty, that part of the event with the big money for the drivers. I think we forget about the the fact that this is a fundraising event. How awesome is it for us to be able to do these two things: fundraise and put so much money on the line for you guys, the drivers. It's awesome. Um, it, what the what the Soleil family there and the Thoroughbys do to put this deal, this deal on is, is it's awesome, man. Uh, Dan was I don't know a lot of people don't know, but Dan was a huge part of my racing career. Um, I was uh, it, when I dated Leah way back in the day, which is Dan's daughter, um, and he uh, he even after we had broke up, Dan still went racing with me for a year or so afterwards. So I spent probably nine or ten years with with Dan crewing for me. Um, so he was definitely a huge part of my racing career and to, to see what, uh, what that race has became. Um, it's, uh, it's definitely awesome to be able to, to put it in victory lane for him for sure. Uh, just to sure that up, by the way, $14,620 through t-shirts, the silent auction, the dunk tank, rich France. You didn't tell me if you got in the dunk tank, like you said, you were going to and 50, 50 sales, $14,620, um, proceeds going to the American cancer association. It's a fantastic number. And, uh, you know, rusty for you to be a part of that and, and to, uh, you know, I think that drivers like you help bring the fans to help participate in this sort of event. And uh, it's just a really cool thing. I'm looking forward to it continuing for many years. Yeah, definitely. It's awesome to be part of. Um, 
Uh, it was uh, that was one of the final decisions too that uh, that made us get actually come back up there and run that deal. I mean, I, we were with everything that's happened this year. Everybody knows all the the controversy we've had. For sure, so, for sure. Um, we we had we had, had we didn't even make the decision to go up there until Tuesday or Wednesday of of last week, and uh, that was one of the things. I mean, I I, I really wanted to support the race. It's uh, it's kind of a big deal for me too, just because of uh, all the years I have spent with Dan. So and and to be able to raise, help raise that kind of money to. Uh, for the cancer foundation, it's all going to a good cause, man. It's uh, it's an awesome deal, and I hope it just keeps getting bigger from here. When I talked to you on Saturday night, I think it was probably too soon when I gave you a chance to kind of thank everybody because you were like, I just can't remember them all right now. Uh, here, here, here's your chance to uh, you know, kind of list everybody else that helps you out and that's on the side of that race car. Yeah, I gotta um, I, I gotta thank everybody, man. It's uh. It, the, the sponsorship that we've got on this thing is awesome and it sucks to not be able to, to, to list them all off in victory lane. Cause uh, you know how the emotions get high, but um, Buckeye concrete coatings, velocity fire suits, uh, dominator race products, Bilstein shocks, Landrum Springs, um, ML performance, uh, all star. Um, Man, I, I I don't even know. I, I don't have a car here in front of me. To I was just right gonna now. say. I was just gonna say. Uh, is Tom, he, he's walking to the car that? or walking around it right now? And uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't don't even have one. Um, no, my car's not here at my shop. But uh, um, no, there's a bunch of other ones too. Um, Larry's Mobile Repair. Um, he helps keep the truck on the road for us. Uh, Tom Finch Automotive. Um, VP Race Fuels, Hoosier Tire, uh, Mullins Race Engines. I don't know if I've got them in there yet. I know, uh, <laughs> I know they've been huge to us this year with these new LS motors. Um, maybe Domination Race Cars, VP and Carrillo Rods. Well, <laughs> I don't want to thank myself. Well, uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I get definitely get us a plug in there for Domination Race Cars because we uh, we had a heck of a weekend and that was that was awesome. So Rusty Man, um, it's hopefully a- we got all the. Sorry, I was going to say, Rusty, it's, well, al- it's always a pleasure to chat with you, man. And, and yeah, Re- Domination had a really good weekend at Merritt, um, so, uh, and so did you. Biggest win of your career, $33,000. I can only assume that we'll look to see you uh, next year when the plan is, we understand, it'll go up to $34,000 to win. So uh, you got your name on the uh, win book twice for the wood tick, maybe three times next year. I hope we can do it a third time. I don't know if I can make it quite as exciting as this year, but hopefully we can get it done again. Rusty, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Good stuff. Always glad to bring Rusty on the program. And, and again, what a race. If you've been hating on, if you've been hating on Merritt Speedway, <clears throat> if you've been hating on Merritt Speedway, individual who will not be named on our, w, on our uh, Horsepower Happenings Facebook page, <clears throat> get up there and check it out because uh, you just heard it from the man himself. You just heard it from Rich France. That racetrack, uh, they've done something. I hope they can maintain it throughout these next uh, throughout this next month and a half or so as they wrap up the season. I hope they can maintain it and put on some really good races. Because uh, And Mike knows that's why they did that. The, the first part of the season, they were not where they needed to be with that racetrack, but they never gave up. They kept trying. And it uh, looks like, according to what you're seeing, Rich, and what Rusty said, they found something. They sure did, and I don't know... Uh... You know, I, I think the only thing that was I, I would guess would be the only disappointment was the extra two two hours that they spent prepping it. Sure, um, that that really took a lot of time out of the evening. Nobody wanted to race at one o'clock in the morning. I don't think, but um, 
it was what it, if, if that's what it took to have a race like that let's race at one or two i don't care um <laughs> it doesn't matter it doesn't matter to me i i don't have to get up early it, it would have been fine with me but uh it, i thought it was pretty good it got a little uh, crumbly and a little dusty at the end, but that's 75 laps, Zach. They sure. don't run that all the time up there. Well, and I do have to say this as well. Uh, the track, again, at Tri-City on Friday night was very good for the Great Lakes Super Sprint. So if they do that, you're not going to want to miss Wednesday night's program. Yes, that's right. Wednesday, August 11th this week, Tri-City Motor Speedway will be in action with the Eastern IMCA All-Stars Tour. It'll have the, of course, IMCA Modifieds. Pro Stocks will be there, Michigan Street Stocks, and four and six cylinders all in action Wednesday night, August 11th at Tri-City Motor Speedway. And then, Rich, when we get into the uh, original race dates of the week, Friday is just absolutely jam-packed with fun. Yeah, I'll take the pavement stuff, and you can have the dirt stuff. So we'll talk first about Toledo Speedway. If you are a school bus figure eight fan, uh, Toledo Speedway is where you want to be. That place will be packed, Zach, hands down. Late model sportsman figure eights, factory stocks, boat figure eight, and a flagpole race. Uh, tickets are available in advance online at ToledoSpeedway.com, or you can call the racetrack. Uh, the ticket office and the gates open at 530 on Friday. Racing begins at 730. And uh, Kalamazoo Speedway on the west side of the state. They're in a weekly, weekly racing template late model, street stocks, front wheel drive, and zoo stocks. The pits and the, and the front gates open at 3.30 with racing kicking off at 7.30 at Kalamazoo. On the dirt Friday night, you got some options. I-96 Speedway will have late models, IMC, modified street stocks, cyber stocks, mini wedges, uh, all racing at 8 o'clock Friday night at 9.96. And then if you're a fan of sprint cars, Friday night, Hartford Speedway, Great Lake Super Sprints is the place to be at Hartford that fast, or that track is bad fast, big, putting on a lot of really good shows. Last time we were there, a really good program at Hartford Friday night for the Great Lake Super Sprints, and it's part of a doubleheader weekend on the west side of the state. Do what I'm doing. Get yourself a hotel room or find a tent, steal Rich Francis Camper, come to the west side of the state, and then join us Saturday at Thunderbird Raceway. Great Lake Super Sprints again will be in action. Cyberstocks racing for a special $500 to win. IMCA Mods, Pro Lates, Street Stocks, Warriors, Mini Wedges, all going to be there racing at 615 on Saturday night at Thunderbird Raceway. And Rich, you'll be in action on Saturday as well. Yep, Kids Night uh, at the Flat Rock Speedway. Kids 12 and under get in for free, plus they get a hot dog and a free drink. I'm not 12, but maybe I can scam a hot dog <laughs> and a free soft drink. Uh, Outlaw Super Late Models, Street Stocks, Figure 8s, Regular House Division, all in action. The Outlaw Super Late Models run 50 laps, 25 laps for the Street Stocks, 20 laps for the Figure 8. Gates open at 4.30, racing at 7 p.m. on Saturday at Flat Rock. Well, that's going to do it for tonight's show. What a great program. Our thanks again to Blake Rowe for joining us. Congrats to him on the big money weekend. Rusty Schlank, who made more money in one night than I'll make in this entire year. And uh, appreciate him being on the program tonight as well. For Scott Menlin, who pays the bills, for my buddy and my co-host, Rich France, I'm Zach Heiser. Thanking you so much for tuning in to Horsepower Happenings. We'll talk to you Monday night, same time, same place. Right here, it is Horsepower Happenings. You've been listening to Horsepower Happenings. Catch up on past episodes by logging on to horsepowerhappenings.com. And be sure to tune in next week to keep up on what's happening.